Thank you so much. Well, I think the first thing I, I, I want to say is um, my heart is just so filled with a sense of joy and uh, just a sense of, in some sense, um, breathing in the presence of God. And, and even though I know a bit of your story from beginning till now, and I've been a part of your story, Celebration Life, from beginning till now, and from the very beginning, the very presence of God that is in your midst, the, 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 the sense of joy, the sense of warmth, the sense of fellowship that was there from the very beginning is with you now. It's with you now. And one of the things that really um, stirred in my heart as I was worshiping with you is, is to really say thank you for representing the love of Father God, for representing the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit everywhere your foot hits the ground. Within your home, within your schools, within your place of work, where you shop, where you eat, thank you. Thank you. You truly are an expression of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, who you're drinking from the well of the Holy Spirit every time you gather. And when you leave this place, you go representing God, and you do that well. You do that well. Now, to some degree, my, what I want to share this morning, the things that God has put on my heart, is really that. It's really to somehow reflect back to you who you are and what you mean to the people around you. And most importantly, who Jesus is in our midst and the ministry of the Holy Spirit that makes Jesus present to us everywhere we go. Yeah, so that's sort of where I'll go when we get to the moment of looking at the scripture. I am going to be speaking from Colossians chapter 3. However, for many of you, you probably, this is the first time you have met me. And so um, Pastor Quentin and Jen has invited me to just share a little bit about myself and about what I do because you faithfully give to me every month. And I am so, so, so grateful for that. So permit me to just share a little bit about who I am and and what you invest in uh, in terms of the ministry that we do together. So you might recognize my accent, although over the years living in Europe and now in Cape Town, I've sort of lost my Massachusetts accent. (laughs) But I am from New England. I was, uh, my mother and father are from New England. Um, Massachusetts in the Springfield area is where I grew up. And um, mom and dad were Roman Catholics. Mom, Irish Catholic, dad, Canadian uh, his heritage is from Canada, so French-Canadian sort of Catholic background. And, uh, and so, therefore, my brother and I were baptized in the Catholic Church, and we began to go to uh, Catholic grammar school. <clears throat> but in those years, um, mom and dad had a troubled marriage, and alcohol destroyed our family. In fact, my mom became an alcoholic, and eventually my mom left my dad. Now, this was back in, you know, the, the 60s. <laughs> and um, it was rare for a father to care for uh, the children. And in fact, this was my father's second marriage. So my father was old enough to be my grandfather. 
And those were difficult years. And I may refer back to some of that when I share from the Colossians passage. So even though I went to a Catholic school, and I'm so grateful for the many things the priests and the sisters taught me. They taught me the Ten Commandments. They taught me right from wrong. They, they gave me, you know, a sense of value and perspective as a young child growing up who didn't really have parents who parented them. And for many reasons, I'm forever grateful, but I did not know God. I did not know God. Now, believe it or not, I'm in my teenage years, and uh, I uh, have aspirations to be a veterinarian, so I'm going to the University of Massachusetts. Uh, it's, I, I hear it's as wild today as it was in the 70s. <laughs> and so at the University of Massachusetts in the, the early 70s, um, I met Jesus. And you know how I met him? Through Jesus Christ's superstar. <laughs> Believe it or not. Okay? So you got to know we're at the end of the hippie generation, right? Music is like all in everything. But of course, back then, we actually had to sit in the room and listen to the music playing, right? You couldn't carry it around with you. So you literally had to be right there in front of what kind of record player you had. And I knew every song of Jesus Christ Superstar. Every song. I finally got to go to the rock opera live, and finally the movie came out. I saw it seven times. Meaning, I literally had to buy a ticket and go into a movie theater (laughs) seven times. Yeah, and in my heart, now I didn't understand it then, but it was the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But in my heart, the question, Jesus Christ, who are you? And why'd you die? Why'd you live? Who are you? Now, my family was relatively poor. Now, I say relatively because right now I live in Cape Town, South Africa, in a very beautiful home, but right across from my suburb are 30,000 people, mostly who live in shacks. Yeah, and one of the gifts of traveling the world and doing ministry in different contexts, you realize that you see your story slightly differently in light of some of the other stories that are out there. However, we grew up relatively poor. We, my father at some point was, was unable to pay the rent. Um, you know, there was a time here in New England when all the factories went south. Yeah, well, my dad worked in a factory that made small machines. He started sweeping the floors and worked himself up to superintendent. And that factory moved south, and he refused to move south because he wouldn't take us away from our cousins and our family. So dad ended up working in a garage at 60, 62 years old, pumping gas and learning how to fix engines. <laughs> you know, and, and here we were, you know, uh, my brother's on drugs, my dad's working night and day, no parenting in the house. I hadn't really even had a vision I didn't even have a vision to go on to university until my chemistry teacher asked me one day um, what, did I, what college I was going to. And I said, um, oh, I'm not going to college. And he said, you're not? I said, no, I'm not going to college. And uh, he said, why not? And I said, um, I'm not smart enough, and we don't have any money. Now, here's an adult, an adult in my world who looked me in the eye, and he said to me, you're smart enough, and I'll help you get the money. 
and I got straight A's from that point on. Okay, I got into UMass. That's not too hard. (laughs) I got straight A's in UMass, yeah, and he did help me get the money. But now I meet Jesus. Now I meet Jesus. And as I begin to read the gospel story about Jesus, I'm captivated by the beauty of this man. I'm I'm captivated by the story of his life and his death and his resurrection and his ascension. Through the help of Holy Spirit, my eyes are beginning to open and my heart is beginning to beat once again, my hard heart. It was the way I survived the pain of divorce and many other tragic things. (laughs) I was becoming alive. And so then I discovered there was such a thing as Christian colleges. And I could actually go and study the Bible while I studied science. And so I went on to Wheaton College in Chicago. And my prayer at that point, just a a New Englander, you know, a gal from a broken background with alcoholic mother and all kinds of other kinds of elements to my family story that that I wanted to hide from everybody. This, this girl from Springfield, my prayer was, I'd like to study the scriptures so that I can share it in a youth group, in a church somewhere around Springfield, Massachusetts. Never did I dream at 62 I would have traveled more than 100 nations, that I would be responsible for a ministry that serves 10,000 peoples a year. And we serve them in 95 different languages in the world. We do that with a discipleship training school that is six months long. I guess your grandson, so your grandson probably has done one and is working now in for two more in Haiti. In Haiti. He's going to be there. Okay. Okay. It, it, every time I come back to the States, I, I haven't been back to Massachusetts yet. I'll do that in a couple of weeks. But, but every time I'm here in New England, you guys are kind of like family. Some of you have accents like my grandma. <laughs> Actually, Bob did. <laughs> he reminded me of some of my family. I just think, wow, our God, our God is so, so amazing. And he's so personal. And, you know, that scripture that pastor spoke out that, you know, God has a future and a hope for these young people. We have no idea. We have no idea what that future holds. Right? And you are a community of people that are nurturing one another, especially your young people, to walk into that future with Jesus and walk into that future with God. So I'm grateful. Now, there's many things I could tell you. I'm vice president of our university. I'm the acting provost. I also have a, I'm in the process of developing a center for our university that is equipping people in Christian formation and discipleship. I do speak quite a bit, but not necessarily in a service like this. I'm mostly with a group of people for three to five days. So, you know, kind of reducing everything that I want to say down to 30 minutes, that's a tough job, (laughs) you know, is a little bit of a challenge for me. But thank you. Thank you for your prayers. Last time I was here, I think it was about two years ago, maybe June two years ago, 
Um, some of you uh, gave toward the renovation of my three-card garage so that I could use it as a classroom. And today we have leaders from around the world who are being trained and equipped there. And uh, I'm so grateful for that, for your generosity. So that's a little bit about me. That's a little bit about me. So let's sort of switch a little bit to consider uh, this uh, Colossian passage. So um, this is going to be, there's a a few verses, Colossians 15 through 17. And, um, And Paul here is addressing the Colossian church. And these verses are actually um, um, talking about when they gather together, like the way you're gathering together this morning, the way we're gathering together this morning. These things are sort of a a little bit of a description of what we do when we, we gather together, okay? So if you want to see these in your own Bibles, go ahead and open to Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 and following. So one of the things I want to talk about this morning is identity formation, identity formation, okay? So how it is, how it is that, 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 that our sense of identity is shaped, okay? So first I want us to just consider our identity as maybe Americans, or perhaps um, maybe our identities within your family within America, Okay, and I'll use my own story as an example. So, um, so I'm American, and even though for 35 years I haven't lived in this country, when I see an American flag, uh, something happens deep within my heart. Right when the Star Spangled Banner plays, and and the you know there's something about you want to stand up and say you know the Pledge of Allegiance, right? <laughs> you know, and and so so how did that get in me? I think, if I'm not mistaken, every morning in school, we said the Pledge of Allegiance. Is it true? They still do it today? No. Oh, what a shame. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, the, 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 my mom was a Marine. And on Memorial Day, she'd be marching, you know, in the Memorial Day parade with her Marine uniform on. In fact, when we buried my mom, who came to faith in Jesus, by the way, when we buried my mom, what she wanted to wear was that Marine uniform. You know, things like that in my family history, it, it, it wove deep into my, my sense of identity, my sense of who I am. But not only that, I'm, I'm Irish. <laughs> I'm American, but I'm Irish. So the corned beef and cabbage, right, the Irish music. My mom was an Irish dancer. You know, St. Patrick's Day. Even today, if I'm flying around the world on March 17th, I better have something green in my suitcase. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, like, our identities are formed and shaped through relational experiences. And we engage all five of our senses, and we do things repetitively that sort of, you know, we don't have to, we, we, we don't have to um, um, talk ourselves into being American. <laughs> we are one. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't have to, oh, I, oh, that's right, I'm Irish. <laughs> no, I, I am Irish dancing, you know what I mean? And if you think of your own story, if you think of, is there a certain dish, a certain recipe a certain time of year, yeah, that, 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 that you experience and floods of memories come back. 
and it connects to a sense of this is who I am. This is who I am. That's identity formation. That's identity formation. So let's talk about false identity formation. False identity formation. (laughs) Growing up in the family that I've just described, particularly my relationship with my mom was very, very complex. As mom began to drink, more and more dad would be away on fishing trips. In those moments, there would be men who would visit our home. I didn't really know what was going on between mom and these men that visited, but I knew it wasn't good. (laughs) And I knew it was destroying our family. And I knew I needed to keep it a secret. (laughs) And so, so in those years, one of the ways that I dealt with the, the confusion and the pain was I ate a lot. Just ate, ate, ate. So at some point, I'm 320 pounds. I'm 10, 11, 12, can't find clothes to fit me. Unfortunately, I think they actually make clothes that big for children today. <laughs> but that was unusual back then for a child to be that heavy. And then you can imagine the hurtful experiences with children. You, you can imagine sitting on a chair in school and it breaks. You know, you, you can imagine my mother, who is, you know, an ex-Marine, <laughs> who would never have hunched shoulders, would never put an extra pound on, who would walk in the room with square, head up, elegant. She could be wearing sweatshirt and jeans and turn every head. <laughs> And then when she'd look at me, the, the, the sense of embarrassment. Now, as an adult, I look back, you know what? She was embarrassed of herself because she wasn't mothering me. <laughs> She's full of guilt and condemnation and shame. But when you're a 10-year-old and you see that in your mother's eye, you do not understand that. Yeah. The day she left when she threw all her stuff in a garbage bag and walked out the door, she moved in with somebody on the other side of town. He was a bartender at the bar five doors down from where we lived. I never saw her for two years. I'd walk by the bar and see their car. Two years. What is so wrong with me? What is so wrong with me that my own mother won't come to see me. Through those painful, relational interactions, right, my heart, deep within me, I internalize a sense of I don't belong. I'm an embarrassment, right? Nobody, Nobody will love me. There was a sense of insecurity. Where I found acceptance Where I found adults who championed me was, was, well, I got all A's. And although I'm very grateful I got all A's, (laughs) I'm very grateful for my teacher who uh, encouraged me in such a way that I did get all A's. We have an enemy. And even, even when we're engaged in something good, he'll twist it. And the only thing good about you is because you get all A's. <laughs> That's false identity formation. And we all have a story 
And through that story, we have an enemy who's been working. And so we're all, no matter how long we have walked with Jesus, we are all in the process of shedding that false identity, right? And living in our new identity. And what Paul addresses here in, uh, in Colossians, he's speaking to a church in a city, uh, a church very much like you, in surroundings very much like yours. And he knows when that church gathers, when you come in through the doors of this facility, or perhaps when you come into the home of, of one of you as you invite others to gather in your home, that you're coming into a place that's quite different than what's outside those doors. And when you come together, Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, that you are to set your heart, set your mind on Jesus, because you've been raised and you are seated with Jesus. And so that's what we did this morning through the lyrics of those songs. Yeah, I began to imagine sort of Jesus right here, perhaps right next to Ben. There's an empty seat right there, but perhaps it's not empty. (laughs) There we go. Perhaps it's not. That, That actually Jesus is present to us. Yeah, and by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, you and I are united to Jesus. And you and I are united to one another. And that is amazing. And Paul says, Colossians 3, 1 and 2, set your heart on this. Set your mind on this. Yeah, now he begins when he jumps down to Colossians 3.15. He says, let the shalom of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the shalom of Christ rule in your heart. So shalom is, a, is not just the absence of, of uh, unity. It's not just the, 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 the absence of conflict. Yeah, it's the presence of something that, that causes us to flourish it, it, it nurtures us. It strengthens us. Yet when we come together, we're not just walking away with something different to think about. Although that's included. When, when, when we go forth, our hearts, our hearts, if they're engaged, walk away full. Walk away full, nurtured. I want to tell you about um, a friend of mine named Paulo. He's uh, from Brazil. He's a candidate in our, the, a master's track that I lead. And uh, we were working with the scripture um, in our class time. Now, when our class gathers, it's usually for two weeks, and we're together 24-7. It's sort of like a retreat atmosphere. And so this one morning, um, we, uh, we, we, we took a banqueting table that was is probably as long as the, the hall here. And on it, we laid something like aluminum foil. Actually, if I was in South Africa, I'd have to say aluminum. But aluminum foil. And on it then were, well, there were no plates, no plates, but the table was covered with food. So grapes and peaches and Granny Smith apples that are cut. There were bananas. And then there was, there was cheeses from Switzerland. Oh, my gosh, Swiss cheese. <laughs> they say it's the cows. Okay, all the kinds of cheeses you can imagine, right? And different kinds of meats. There were different kinds of baked bread. 
European baked breads. Absolutely amazing. It was a table that was flourishing. In some ways, it was a table that represented the benefits that we have because we are in Jesus Christ. And those various food elements represented abundance of forgiveness and compassion and grace and unconditional love and mercy. That table is a symbol that we belong and are in fellowship and that we're adopted, yeah? And so we as staff, we set this table, we prayed, and then we opened the doors and we said, Jesus, our Savior, has made a way for us to come to this table. Jesus, our Savior, has made a way for us to come to this table. And so Paulo comes and sits at the table and he sits and two hours later he is still sitting at the table and tears are streaming down his eyes. Because Paulo, although he has been a Christian for probably 20 years, his story is he was an orphan. He grew up in institutions and in different foster families. And for the first time in Paulo's life, he sat in the presence of God with an awareness that he's sitting at the table. He's sitting at the table. He has read the scriptures. He, goes, he went to Bible school. In fact, he's in a master's degree in, in Christian formation and discipleship. He knows in his head that he's loved and he belongs. But it hasn't captivated his heart so that he lives differently. And so Paulo just sat there. He just sat there in awareness. Now, I've walked with disciples of Jesus for years and years, people from many different countries and many different backgrounds, and I know my own story. And there's a rich banquet that God prepares for us, for you, every time you gather. Whether you gather here or whether you gather in your homes, there is a rich banquet every time you relate to one another. (laughs) There's a rich banquet. And some of us come from backgrounds like me (laughs) where um, I can hardly believe it's true. Right? I hardly believe it's true. The next verse of scripture, so 316, Paul says something like this. Let the story or the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Let the the story of Jesus dwell among you richly. As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. So one of the first things I want to point out in this scripture is that, is that we're not just to hear scripture and think about it. We're to, we're to somehow enter into the story of scripture. I guess kind of like I did with Jesus Christ Superstar. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where I just got myself immersed in the gospel stories. And I went, who is this man? Look how he loves children. Look how he treats women. Look how he handles suffering. 
Look how much he loves and trusts his Father God. Look how much he welcomes the ministry of the Holy Spirit in and through him. Who is this man? And then I realize I'm supposed to live like him. Oh, we're to dwell in the scripture. Engage our whole being. And we're to do that. Now notice, it's not, it doesn't say uh, as Pastor Quentin, you know, sort of instructs you. Although, thank God, Pastor Quentin instructs. (laughs) Right? There's so much more going on here. That there is something we do to one another that deepens this experience of Jesus in our midst. And we did it this morning. Are you guys with me? And as we do that, as we do that, it, it reminds us, I am a daughter. I am a son. I do belong. Yeah. And so Paulo, that night when he left, this was about two years ago, he never ate a thing. He never ate a thing at that table. <laughs> he, never, he never took something and offered it to his neighbor. <laughs> but he was on a journey, and it had begun. And he was beginning to wake up to the reality of who he is in the body of Christ, united to Jesus in the presence of the Father. And now, when we have celebrations like that, Paulo partakes. Paulo eats. <laughs> Paulo celebrates. In fact, Paulo actually shares. And you know what? The more Paulo engaged in the reality, receiving of forgiveness and compassion and grace, the more he believed he was forgiven and that God was compassionate. And he was loved unconditionally. Paulo knew he belonged. You know what, guys? When I, when I, um, I didn't walk into my bedroom one day when I was a girl. And on my pillow was a little message. You don't belong. And I read that message and I went, oh my gosh. My future's destroyed forever. Those lies took time and people, and experiences, and an enemy to deepen that until it crippled me. Yeah, and the way I get free is not just simply reading words on a book. Right? I have a master's degree in New Testament studies. There was a time I could quote you the book of Ephesians in Greek. I would have been at graduate school at Wheaton when I was about 27, 28 years old. And yet, my first boyfriend, after about a year and a half of relationship, confessed to me that he wasn't attracted to me, but he was attracted to boys. He shared with me the story that his, uh, he was abused as a child. And uh, he never really felt right as he grew up. He'd never been active as a homosexual But here he is now in a relationship with a woman, and so for the first time in his life, he has to actually face the reality that he's confused, and something's wrong, and back then, you didn't talk about that, and so he asked me to keep it a secret, and so here I was, here I was in a relationship that was meaningful, I have an enemy, (laughs) yeah, here I was at a normal weight, I had lost weight, I'm relating to this man that I truly do care for. And he's telling me he's not attracted to me. And he tells me why. 
But what do you think I think? It's me. Yeah, it's me. If I were only prettier. If I were only. If I were only. And I got into a cycle of binging and purging food. Binging and purging. So I was bulimic, 27 years old. I'm a leader at Wheaton. I'm a top student in the graduate school. I could quote you scripture. (laughs) But in my world, (laughs) when I got in my apartment, when I faced my refrigerator, those things were nowhere to be found. Yeah, and I just binged and I purged. (laughs) You know, there were moments of despair where I would look at a scripture and I would say, you know, the truth will set you free. (laughs) So why aren't I free? And you know what it took? It took God bringing people like Ben and Vicki into my life. It took God, through the Holy Spirit, encouraging me to take steps to be vulnerable and to be honest. It took people like you who gathered regularly and welcomed me in. And together we sang psalms and hymns and spiritual songs that are so full of truth. And I watched the conviction in your faces, and I heard your testimonies, and you welcomed me to join you for, you know, Sunday lunch. And before too long, there were people back in Massachusetts when I would come home from college and I couldn't stay with my drunk mother. My father by now is in a nursing home because he's had a stroke. They took me in. This is your home. Here's your sofa. I love that sofa. You know what I mean? It was experiential, relational experiences with the people of God that made me the person I am today, and I am just so, so grateful. I am just so, so grateful. Paul moves through this passage after encouraging people to set your heart and mind on the reality of Jesus present in your midst. After encouraging them to let the shalom of Jesus feed their hearts, this flourishing, this nurturing. And you know, it's Holy Spirit in our midst that makes Jesus available. He's speaking, convincing of sonship and daughtership. He's speaking, convincing that you are loved, that God has abundant grace for you. And grace is not just for the forgiveness of sins. It's to face whatever you have to face when you walk outside the door this morning. More of you, Holy Spirit. I loved praying for these students this morning and asking for God's anointing, that they would be anointed students. But you know what? We all need to be anointed We need anointed neighbors, anointed businessmen, right? If you serve in a restaurant, be anointed as you interact with those that you serve, right? We need to be anointed as husbands and wives. Paul says when you you come together as we did this morning, admonish one another. Sing psalms and hymns and even songs of the Spirit. And let your heart be filled with gratefulness. And then he says, this is the last scripture, go. (laughs) And whatever you do, 
Whatever you do, in word or deed, do it in the name of Jesus. Do it in the name of Jesus. Like, whatever you do. Now, what does it mean, in the name of Jesus? It's not just a phrase. It's the reality that Jesus goes with us. He's with us in every circumstance. He's with us in every situation. He's with us in every role. Are you grateful for Jesus? Yeah. So there's a banquety table here. (laughs) There's plenty of forgiveness and grace and compassion and mercy and unconditional love. Yeah. If you've been, um, if you have a sense that you've um, been waking up to the reality (laughs) of this banqueting table, maybe like Paolo, maybe for all your life, but perhaps it's really just in a certain relationship or circumstance in your life where you're just at this place of realizing that there is a grace available to you so that when you walk outside the door, that you, with Jesus, by the help of the Holy Spirit, will respond differently than if you didn't come this morning. <laughs> is there anyone who, who would like prayer for that? Yeah. Now, I'm, this is where I get a bit uncomfortable because I don't know how you do this. And I don't really want to embarrass anyone. But I do sort of want to say, so we know, so that we can pray, would you stand? <laughs> we, more of you, Jesus. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are the gift from heaven. <laughs> That you, Holy Spirit, are the gift from heaven. Yes, you do give us gifts, but you yourself are the gift. And that you, Holy Spirit, have been sent by the Father and the Son to make all of who you are available to us. And I pray for my friends this morning. I pray their hearts would respond. I pray their hearts would be filled with you, Holy Spirit. Even as they think about the circumstance, the relationship perhaps the conflict, perhaps the need, perhaps the impossible. Help us to fix our eyes on you, Lord Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Let our hearts respond to the reality of your presence in our midst, that regardless of circumstance, there is joy, there is celebration, there is peace. There is a sense of your present with us. And Lord, I also pray for the relationships among celebration life. Lord, I pray, yes, I pray for absence of conflict, but that is not enough. I pray this is a fellowship that represents you. That this is a place when people come, they say, this is what God is like. That there truly is kindness and mercy and compassion and there's grace. There's generosity. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you are present with my friends here. I thank you. But we ask for an anointing this morning that can only come by you, Holy Spirit. And as Ephesians 5 says, we are dearly loved children. So let us go forth and imitate you, Lord Jesus. And love like you do. Let it be. Amen.